Hello and welcome. We are happy to be back with another episode of Positively Pro-Life Podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramul Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and back to co-host with me today is our Legislative Director, Maria Gallagher. Welcome, Maria. It's so good to be with you today, Ramul. I'm so glad you're back as my co-host. Yes, <laughs> yes. After some time away, I'm back. Yes. Um, so we are approaching the one-year mark since Roe v. Wade was reversed. And while it was a landmark victory for pro-lifers all across the nation, there is, there is no doubt that we have our work cut out for us. There is action both on the front lines and at grassroots levels to educate, to pass pro-life legislations and rally for pro-life candidates to represent the cause. In view of the cha- changing landscape of this battle, we have invited Alison Center Fante, I'm sorry, I might be saying your name wrong, but um, a national pro-life leader and strategist to chat with us. But first, Maria will have missed your legislative, we have missed your legislative update. So what do you have for us this week? Remmel, the following is from a National Right to Life news release. On June 24, 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court released its decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. In the court's judgment, elected representatives, not the courts, can enact abortion-related policies. These policies include protecting both preborn children and their mothers. In the president's column for the June issue of NRL News, National Right to Life President Carol Tobias outlines the unique and transformative role the federal government has on the abortion issue. Most pro-life laws and policies are being enacted at the state level, writes Tobias. However, the federal government, from the executive branch to the U.S. Congress, is uniquely positioned and has both the opportunity and the responsibility to protect the most vulnerable members of the human family. Tobias continues, We urge all lawmakers, as well as candidates for Congress and the presidency, to embrace the unique and transformative role the federal government has in advancing life-affirming policy in the United States. The article includes several ways the federal government can work to protect preborn babies and their mothers, including ensuring that no taxpayer dollars are used to pay for abortion or subsidize health plans that cover or promote abortion, either in the U.S. or in other countries, and eliminating to the extent possible taxpayer funding of abortion providers requiring the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, to collect meaningful data and publish reports on abortion in all 50 states and the District of Columbia, the number of abortions performed, the age of the mother and preborn child, complications, and deaths arising from such procedures, and protecting the conscience rights of healthcare personnel and entities who do not wish to perform or participate in any part of the abortion process. And we thank National Right to Life so much for these insights 
and uh, their assistance in ensuring that the federal government does indeed play a role in the abortion issue. Remmel. Thank you for that update, Maria. We all know that this weekend, June 18th, is Father's Day. And in honor of that, we are celebrating a father in our inspiration segment. Daniel Coleman is a dad with over 300,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel for children called Danny Go. With two of his childhood friends, he creates children's videos with facts, information, and simple life lessons, all packaged with singing and dancing and cool animation. I watched some of these videos and it's catchy, upbeat, quirky, and simply fun. And I have to say that I wanted to just get up and dance with, <laughs> with uh, the video <laughs> music. So a local news show uh, recently picked up his story and Coleman said he's more inspired by what the platform does to help him raise awareness for something very important to him. And he goes on to explain that he has two sons Isaac and Levi, and his oldest son, Isaac, was born with a pretty serious genetic disorder, and that has affected a lot of, uh, that has had a lot of effects on his body, and uh, some of it is that he is missing some bones, uh, he has had to have bone marrow transplant, he's had a kidney transplant, and um, so Daniel says that uh, he's had a pretty crazy life, but he is in, his son, uh, Isaac, is an incredible kid, and he's super tough. Um, so it's pretty clear uh, what Daniel has been through with his son has made him passionate about the different causes. And his son is the one who motivates, motivates him to do what he's doing right now, raising awareness for, for different causes. Um, I actually found this, this video um, channel um, through, an, through another social media platform where mom was very grateful that Danny Goh's videos are the ones that help her child learn how to do certain things. Like she says one of the easiest tricks that she found was to put on the Danny Goh video of him. Uh, he has one called Swap the Deck in which he teaches the kids to like, it, it, it's a it's a piratey kind of uh, video, but but then they're cleaning the deck. They're swabbing uh, the floors and they're they're putting the beds in order and things like that. So her kid actually watches this and starts to put his toys back. Uh, there's, a, there's a small section where there is a 20 second um, part in the video where the children are told, okay, now let's, let's get going and put our toys back. And there's a, there's a timer that comes on. So clearly he is making a difference, not only in the life of his child and in the causes that he supports, uh, but he's also helping shape uh, the lives of so many children around uh, in the world and in this country. So here's to Danny Go and all the dads out there making a difference in the world. We want to wish you a very happy Father's Day from all of us here at the Federation. Now, moving on to our interview. Our guest, Alison Centafante, is the founder of Centafante Strategies, a consulting firm based in Alabama. She most recently served as the Director of External Affairs at Live Action. And before that, she was the Director of Alliance Relations at Alliance Defending Freedom. She has appeared on numerous media channels to share pro-life perspectives and is a very passionate advocate for justice and the cause of life. 
she states that a turning point moment in her life was when she invited Norma McCorby, who we all know is Jane Doe in the Roe v. Wade, uh, Jane Roe, I'm sorry, uh, in the Roe v. Wade um, decision, uh, when she invited Norma McCorby to speak at her college. So Allison, we are so happy to have you on our show. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love what you guys are doing and I am so excited. Oh, first off, I really want to apologize for mispronouncing your name. Could you just tell <laughs> Oh, <me>? it's fine. <laughs> it's Allison Centifonte. I actually was Allison Howard before I got married, which was much easier. Um, but I married a great Italian man. So Centifonte or Centofante if you're really Italian. <laughs> I'm not gonna go that far. <laughs> I've been trying. Um, so, Allison, can you tell us a little bit about what you what you do? You have a consulting firm. Uh, so, what is it that you do? So, I work with people on projects that I believe in. I have the ability with a consulting company to take on different projects and different clients across the country that are doing great work to look out for children and moms and dads. And so um, I've worked in the nonprofit realm for 10 plus years and loved it. Um, and then realized, you know, I'm, I want to raise my babies too and um, work with a lot of different groups. There's so many good things and good projects going on. So I've gotten to work with adoption agencies, with pro-life student groups, planned great conferences and events all across the country. Um, and really, it's just been such a blessing, truly, to be able to stay involved in things that uh, affect abortion and women and supporting them. Um, while my little girls, I have two little girls, you know, are um, either maybe with a neighbor or with my husband. And, and we're just, you know, we want them to see that. We want them to see that there are big problems in the world that we can be a part of the solution to. Um, and so as a family, we've just decided to dedicate our time and our talent in this way. So Allison, why did you decide to pursue pro-life? in your life. Can you explain the genesis for that? Yeah. Thanks for asking. I had no plan to do all the things that I've gotten to do. Um, when I was in college, I actually wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I thought that would be really fun. I thought I'd move to New York City and be in PR. And I remember even interviewing at like Entertainment Tonight and all of these like crazy, you know, secular places. But what I missed was uh, the depth. I missed the significant of those sorts of endeavors. And I look back now and I realize how God used the story of my family and my time in college to line me up to get in the fight for life. Um, in college, we had Norma McCorvey come speak, which is Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade. And when I went home and talked to my dad and my mom about it, my dad shared with me that he was actually post-abortive, that he had taken a woman to get an abortion in college and how much it broke his heart still to this day. And he said, Allison, they told us it was a clump of cells. And that's a neat story for you guys to know because he grew up in Philly and he's a Philly boy through and through. He was actually raised by the Catholic Brothers of Charity in Philadelphia. Um, I just learned a lot about his story and how he was left as a child without a mom and a dad. And, you know, this cycle was continuing of abandonment and neglect. And I just realized it is a woman's issue, yes, but it's also affecting men, uh, you know, men like my dad, who's still mourn that loss. And I just got pushed into this cause wanting to affect change, never wanting a child to be felt 
that they were unwanted. Like my dad likely felt or killed like that happened with my, you know, with my dad and his relationship with a girlfriend at the time. And uh, I just think I have been given a justice bone and a mercy bone. Sometimes my justice bone is a little bit stronger. Um, but I just think that there, we are called to care for the innocent and pursue justice. And as a teenage girl, I've, I was been in, I was in situations and I know that any woman who is facing a tough time just needs someone to come alongside her and say, you're not alone. You can do this. This is not the end. This is the beginning of something different. And I've seen how that message can change a life and save a life. Um, I've worked on a lot of youth ministry too. And so knowing and seeing girls that were in unplanned pregnancies who chose life and how that just set them on a path of, you know, maturity and significance and purpose for those who didn't choose life and who chose abortion, the mourning, the grieving, the, the decisions to mask and cover up those feelings later. I got to see that in real life. And I'm really grateful um, to have had that experience in the inner city that we worked in. So uh, you um, have been working with these big pro-life giants uh, in the nation, like Live Action and Alliance Defending Freedom. So um, from your perspective, can you tell us in a post-row world, what is the most important ap- approach that we can take uh, for an abortion-free world? Mm, that's such a good Good question. And I really think the most important thing is for every individual to know their story and to know and share why they care. You have to share why you care with the people that are closest to you. If we all took care of our little circle, our family, our close friends, and they did the same, that's how you change history. That's how you change the world. So for me to be very open and honest with my kids and my family and say, look, the uh, the neglect, the abandonment, it stops here. You know, this is a unique human being at the moment of conception. We are going to even even as we see pregnant women, we're going to say congratulations. How are you doing? How can we help you? I've seen my husband even do this. He's got a, a you know more corporate job, but he'll come home and he'll say, honey, uh, Jenny is pregnant and she's craving oranges. Can I bring her oranges tomorrow? And I'm like, yeah, do it. Like we just love pregnant women in our lives. We just want our kids to see and the world to see like, this is a blessing. And so I think the most important thing is to care why you share and don't be afraid to express that. And no, you know, no one can take away your story. It's not just so many pro-lifers who are like, I don't know how to answer these questions and that. We can work on that. There's courses and there's books and you can read that, but at the end of the day, you know your story. You know that you're glad that you have life. You know that you have walked along people who have maybe chosen abortion or chosen life or adoption. How that experience is, just share it online, in person, any way you can. Um, and I think that that to me will change the world. Then absolutely get involved in an organization, donate to one you believe in. You know, if you're a pro-life OBGYN, go look at APLOG, the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. You should be there. If you're an attorney, go to ADF. They've got amazing pro-life attorneys. You should support the work they're doing for pregnancy resource centers and stuff. You know, like find your place and donate, support them. That's important too. What's your response to the claim changing the law won't make a difference to abortion rates? Yeah, I mean, I hear that often. 
And my pushback to that is, look, we do both. We create law that protects the innocent and we change culture to protect the innocent. And I think about this in terms of other civil rights issues that our country has faced. And you think about issues like slavery, like segregation, where laws had to be passed to right the wrong and people had to catch up. We didn't wait until everyone in the United States agreed that slavery was wrong. No, we didn't wait until everyone agreed that you know integration was important. No, we created sound law that defended the right of a human being to exist and people can catch up. So, and we've seen this in other countries. You can go look at the statistics that countries that support life with pro-life laws have support for moms. They get creative. They just, it's just, you need to create sound law that reflects the reality of life. And while persuading people, we will not wait have consensus on such an important human rights issue. That's true. Could you comment a little bit about, you know, right now it's the different states making legislature, legislation and passing laws. And um, we have limits, we have bans, we have uh, these different, um, and then there are some that have no limits or no bans at all. Mm-hmm. So could you comment a little bit about that and how, um, how that could make a difference to to people um, who are who are maybe in on the fence about abortion or mm-hmm. that you know it's okay like if if there is no law then I can always go somewhere else you, you know there's all of these thought processes so could you share a little bit about that yeah so right now we're seeing what what we knew would happen which is when Roe was overturned some states are going to allow abortion through all nine months. Uh, which states like New York, California. And then you're going to see states that are going to be a lot more protective of their citizens. You know, Alabama, Texas, Florida, we're working on on pro-life laws to protect the innocent. And you're seeing a pushback from a lot of a lot of people that are on the left. They're very pro-abortion. But interestingly enough, we're also seeing really neat stories come out of pregnancy resource centers and people who are on the ground in these pro-life states that taking abortion off of the table has empowered moms to say, okay, let's figure this out. So in states like Texas, I've heard reports from people who are at the abortion clinic who are answering the phones at these pregnancy resource centers saying, moms are saying, hey, all right, I'm pregnant. Um, What do you got? You got diapers, you got parents. Like they're just, as moms do, as women do, planning for their family. Instead of being coerced or persuaded by the voices around them to end the life of that child. Because we know, we look at the statistics, these women are being per, per pressured into abortion. And there's a really powerful quote out there. I, I don't want to butcher it, but you know, it says a woman needs abortion like a, um, like a fish needs a bicycle. Like no one wants to subject herself to that. That is your child. And people around women will often say, I'll support you no matter what you decide. That pretty much means I'll support you if you get an abortion. And that's not what women need to hear. Women need to hear you can do this. We're going to help you find a job. We're going to help you with childcare. And that's what the great network of PRCs are doing, churches across the country, individual pro-lifers. That's what we've dedicated our lives to. Uh, We make no money off of that, by the way, right? We give of our time. 
I always like to point out that the abortion industry makes money. When a pregnant woman comes in and they, they do and commit an abortion, they make money off of that. And they, the woman's alone. We will take on that child, that mom will walk her through pregnancy and childcare after. So um, we're seeing some people in pro-abortion states actually voting with their feet. They're pretty fed up, high taxes, abortion, crime, and they're moving to states like Florida, Alabama, Texas. Um, it's really hard to buy in those states right now because so many people are moving down. And I just think it shows that governance matters. It affects the culture of your state. And I think a lot of people are waking up to, hey, you know what? I thought I was mushy middle, but the party of, on the left is supporting the worst of policies for human thriving. And it's, it's, it's affecting me. It's affecting my family. It's affecting my schools, the crime around me. It's all, it really is all connected. How important is messaging to the pro-life cause? Oh, it's huge. Um, it's something that I love to do. I love to do messaging training. I'll do media training for politicians and organizational leaders. Um, they need to be ready to respond to these hard questions. I actually had a politician in my kitchen the other month. We were talking about abortion and he said, look, I have a really big heart for foster care. How do I talk about it? You know, I'm a guy. I don't want to be told that I can't talk about abortion because I'm a guy. And so we just we just talked about, hey, speak from your heart. Let's look at the words you're choosing. And messaging is important because you win or lose in terms of definitions of words. Um, and even the word abortion is a euphemism. It's a softening of a very harsh, destructive procedure. And so even just starting there, ladies, it's really powerful. If you're having a conversation around abortion, ask the other person to define what they mean by abortion. Okay, or like, what, what do you think abortion is? And they might have a completely wrong understanding. They might say, oh, it's, you know, when one, a woman miscarries, she needs an abortion. Okay, actually, let's talk about that. That child has already passed naturally. And that is not an abortion because an abortion is the direct intentional killing of an innocent child. A miscarriage, a child has sadly been naturally um, lost. So now we're on different, now we're getting closer to common ground. Oh, okay. You were concerned about miscarriage management. Got it. That was your concern, right? Instead of us just fighting over things. Now that was their, that was their main question. And we answered it. You know, none of the pieces of legislation that have been proposed affect miscarriage management. We would never allow it. I would never allow it. That's a life-saving crucial uh, uh, need for women that have miscarried. So just, that's a good, that's a good answer. I think, I think it's a good answer. I just said, I think that's a good definition of why messaging matters because even just defining what abortion is helps you get to where a person may not be understanding the whole issue. Yeah, what you said is so important because I think right now a lot of the mainstream media is running with a lot of these messages that don't really, that are not in agreement with science and definition and like the medical treatments that are available, um, the language that is used in the laws, like it's it's all over the place and there's so much misinformation and we are being targeted as being uh, givers of misinf misinformation, right? Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. um, how do you think we can reach um, the youngest, like Gen Z, with the pro-life message? Yeah. In the midst I, of politics. <laughs> yeah, I actually think we're doing a really good job of, of reaching that audience. 
I'm seeing this subculture of really young women, like even like 18, 19, 20, realizing that they've been sold a bunch of lies. They are the generation that's coming up, even in 25, 26, 27, I'm 34. So like, these are women who were put on like something like birth control, maybe at 15 that are now 30 and married and trying to get pregnant and realizing, oh my gosh, like I can't get pregnant. I just told my body to shut down my fertility for 15 years. And these conversations are ha- happening, you know, in text message and, in, you know, over wine nights of like, what the heck? Like, I didn't understand my body. No one took a time to teach me about my cycle or teach me about, you know, um, different phases or how to prevent pregnancy without all these insane chemicals. So there's a subculture of girls and I don't even think they're necessarily all religious. I think, I think there's some, you know, some are Catholic or evangelical and they're getting um, good training on, on this of abortion and the human rights issues. But another is just fed up with the junk that's been sold to us by, you know, big pharma, big fertility, and there's they're asking a lot of questions about who makes money when I'm on this drug and who makes money when I'm in a hard time. And we also, well, lastly, say have a generation of young women who were pushed into the workforce. Right. I've lived through this. Go, go, go. Corporate, corporate, corporate. You know, you think of all the magazine ads in like nail salon magazines. It's like your music is your baby take this pill and, you know, prevent pregnancy, all of these things. Well, you turn 30 and you're like, wait a second, I want family. I mean, I've got friends going through that right now, ladies that are like in DC, amazing, patriotic, wonderful women. And they're like, this is great, but I want a family. And that's because God made us to want to nurture. He made us with the ability. And so I, I do think that next generation, both the younger and, you know, our, I would, I don't know what we are, but you know, our elder millennials, are like realizing family is beautiful. Fertility is a blessing, not a disease. And something needs to change so that we are not left unhappy and lied to. Um, So that's encouraging to me. I think social media has done it. A lot of women being bold and sharing their stories and just these kind of conversations, they really do reach people um, with a new message. We've got about a minute and a half left, and I'm wondering, what does being pro-life mean for you? Oh, great question. Being pro-life means to me defending the rights of all children to have a chance to exist. It means supporting moms and dads, and it means being innovative in ways that we can create a society that supports family. So um, that's what being pro-life means to me. Being bold, kind, warm, receptive, and creative um, to address the the hard question and the hard time that can come from unplanned pregnancies. Allison Centafondi, the founder of Centafondi Strategies, a consulting firm based in Alabama. Thank you so much for being on Positively Pro-Life today. Thanks so much for having me. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State with nearly 40 local county-based chapters. We shine a spotlight on the most vulnerable individuals. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life. 